Hello and welcome to another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Sword podcast, where we look at how to make money work for you instead of you working for money. I'm Andrew Harrison. I'm a journalist. Strictly music and politics, not finance, so don't trust what I say, but do trust Andy Mayer, who does know what he's on about. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm not too bad. It's been an interesting few weeks since we last sp- uh, spoke, since we had the fire at the office, which was pretty devastating, but we're back on our feet. Like somebody said, there's a pub opposite with a phoenix risen from the flames again. There you go. You've defeated face. Obviously, everybody's okay. That's the main thing. But files and things, everything's yeah. recovered. And, and uh, we, we didn't lose anything good. at all. Luckily, all the pa- we don't store any paper. It's all in the cloud. And all my memorabilia, sports memorabilia, was saved as well. But the most important thing was the bottle of vodka in the fridge freezer survived the fire. It was the only thing in the office that go. actually survived. So if anyone drinks vodka, I'd stop because God knows what's in it. <laughs> so your, all your Celtic memorabilia has been uh, saved in a very small biscuit tin. This is good to know. So we've just had this week, just had a Conservative conference where Boris Johnson was heavily criticised for what a lot of people called empty boosterism. Lots of talk about building back better, not a lot of substance about it. What did you think? I think what worries me the most is we've, where this money is going to come from because there was an awful lot of rhetoric but there was actually no plans made out and I think when the budget is announced and what we see then I don't think there's anyone listening to this podcast who's going to come out of it better financially but it was uh it seemed to me an awful lot of people lining up for a a challenge on the leadership with Sunek trying to distance himself from Johnson which I thought was quite interesting. Well on today's edition We are on the brink of quite a weird autumn. The government's just ended its furlough scheme. It's withdrawing the £20 universal credit boost. Home fuel bills are rocketing. Vehicle fuel is hard to find. So where is the economy heading? And what should you, as a saver and an investor, do about it? Plus, we're also going to look at the mysteries of IR35, off-payroll working rules, the ones that decide whether you really are self-employed or operating as a company, or if you're an employee in disguise for the purposes of paying tax. There's a new compliance drive on from HMRC, so what do you need to know about that? To explain these, we have a couple of special guests today from WTT Consulting. Rhys Thomas is the MD, and Tom Wallace is the Director of Tax Compliance, which provides tax and legal advice for financial services. Hello, Rhys. Hi, how are you? Not bad, thanks. And hello, Tom. Hi. Firstly, what is WTT Consulting? What, what what stuff do you handle and what is your mission on this earth? Oh, very good question. Um, thank you very much for having us, first of all. WTT is a tax and legal advisory firm focusing predominantly in the freelancing and contracting space. Um, and we're here to advise people on all things tax, really, today and um, see how we can help. So we are, like I say, going into quite a challenging period for the economy. What, for you, are the big priorities and the big issues that people ought to be thinking about at the moment? Um, From the economy perspective, I think we're looking at huge supply chain issues, and I'm sure we're going to be thinking on that today. Um, There's lots around planning for that and, and planning for the future, making sure that potential tax rises and uh, anticipated tax hikes that Andy's mentioned there are planned for um, and don't don't get hit with them unexpectedly. I think that's really the big takeaway that we would say is is plan. If you're ever thinking about um, key things happening in your life, plan for them, Um, plan for them in advance, plan all the tax issues around them, plan all the legal issues around them. And in that way, you're, you're not going to get hit with anything unexpected. I think that's as much of the message as we can say is plan in advance. 
Yeah, Andy and I tend to talk a lot on this podcast about uh, issues of estates and inheritance and preserving your savings and things like that. But one of the big moves that came in in the summer was the national insurance hike, which puts the burden for social care on people of working age. And often it's quite sort of regressive on people who are on possibly lower salaries. That's not something you can plan around, is it? It's just kind of there and you've got to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think Tom's your man to talk on that. But I think planning for the future is is sensible. You can always build in flexibility into those so that things that happen over time can um, you can make changes to that flexible plan. But I think planning as far and ahead as possible and building out a calendar of things that you're looking to achieve, aspirations, goals um, and ways to get there is going to be the right thing to do. Intermittent with that, you can then start to think about the tax points that hinge around all of those. And you can just be a little bit clearer about about things over time so that when events happen that are perhaps unforeseen, when things happen with changes to government and rules, you can then be a little bit more flexible in how that planning has taken place. Well, let's start with looking at the environment you'll be planning into, the, that economic outlook that I just mentioned. We've got what's been described as a perfect storm happening in the British economy. Supply chain problems, staff shortages, Brexit red tape, all the energy problems and the end of support for furloughed workers. But what are the factors behind the headlines that, that are going to shape the way the rest of the year and perhaps 2022 shape up. Andy, what's the outlook from your point of view? What are the things that we ought to be concentrating on? I think it's going to be a fascinating end to the year, and uh, especially the new part of next year. And luckily, I think on the January podcast, we've got one of the Morningstar managers, either Dan or Mike or Mark Prescott, going to give us their forecast for the year. But I think currently there is so many economic unknowns. Inflation looks like it's getting out of control a very dear friend of mine has a factory in Northampton where they're possibly going to have to lay people off work because they can't actually fill the factory with workers. So, And they're offering reasonably good wages, I would think, for a new suddenly look at this whole supply chain issue and realise there's going to be some real economic turbulence ahead in the next 12, 15 months. That idea that it's not just absence of workers, but absence of workers in the right places could actually cause job losses in other places. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it does make sense when you have such an intricate economy as ours. If you take out a chunk of workers or you make it harder for them to work, that will have repercussions elsewhere. It will. And you suddenly start looking if people are being made redundant, there's less tax coming in because there's less people working. You then look at the supply chain issues. I mean, I'm in London recording this at the moment, and there are restaurants, well-known restaurants like the Gavroche, which aren't opening for lunchtimes. There's one in Stratford, a beautiful refit. The Woodman now can't offer lunches till Friday because it cannot get staff, and that had a three to five million pound refit pre the pandemic. I think if you'd invested that sort of money and then you can't sell your products, whatever they are, you must feel pretty fed up about life. The message of the Conservative Conference this week was the idea of this high-wage, high-skills economy and that somehow the supply chain problems and the absence of employees isn't a problem we've brought on ourselves, but it is part of transition. It is part of the transition to this new economy where somehow wages will be higher and skills will be higher. Even the free market Adam Smith Institute, which is enthusiastic for the Conservatives historically, called Johnson's speech bombastic and vacuous and economically illiterate. How do you get from where we are now to where Boris Johnson thinks we can be with high wages and high skills? I don't know how much you can win on the euro millions, but we might all need it. I, I have no idea how that will work because you look at it and there is certain jobs that need doing in society. 
economically. Somebody, if you are in California, someone has to pick the grapes to make the wine, the same in France. I live near Evesham and they had real supply issues last year getting people to pick the asparagus. So ultimately, and there was a, um, a heartbreaking story about a pig farm in the papers recently that they had to slaughter the pigs because they couldn't actually just, and they slaughtered them for no reason other than that they just couldn't get them taken to a slaughterhouse because they didn't have enough butchers to actually kill the, the pigs correctly. So you do sit here and wonder how we move the supply chain forward and how many businesses, despite furlough ending, there's a lot of businesses been backed up by it, that maybe the lack of workers will cause more businesses to fail than COVID. This idea, though, that, um, you know, the government's message is we're going to move from an economy dependent on low wages to one that pays high wages, operates on a high skills base, and somehow isn't inflationary. And it's like... I don't understand where the bit in the middle is. How do we get across this chasm? Because when Rishi Sunak announces 500 million quid in job support, that's not actually very much and certainly not enough to produce an instant high skills economy, is it? But I think it became interesting where Sunak suddenly seemed to distance himself from some of Johnson's pledges and started praising Osborne and uh, Osborne's austerity measures. So you wonder what the budget is going to look like compared to Johnson's speeches because... You can't keep if I mean, we've seen it in Ireland back in uh, the early 2000s when the minimum wage was very high, it caused massive inflation. So if you're going to pay everyone a minimum wage of £15 an hour, you're going to have inflation, you're going to have interest rate rises for mortgages, for borrowings, for credit cards, your pint pint of beer might not be £5, it might be £8. In fact, I'm in London, £8 probably seems reasonable down here. But well, you joke. I've just drunk my first seven pound fifty pint of beer here in London. <laughs> the next day, I was in Leeds, and it was three pound twenty, and I knew where I wanted to be. You get a Celtic part, you can still get a good pint of Guinness for three pound ninety. And at the moment, that's probably the highlight. So, if, if anybody wants a good pint, get a Celtic part because the football's rubbish. But at least the pints are cheap. If you go to Everton, they pay you to drink <laughs> to get through it. Um, I, I want to ask you though. You mentioned inflation. How real is a worry about inflation? Now, I mean, or even because I'm old, I remember the word stagflation, which is suddenly starting to reappear. Should should we be concerned about this? And what does it mean for the kind of savers and the investors that you work with? I think if you get inflation, there'll be some people listening to this podcast who'd be quite delighted because you might get deposit based accounts paying interest, which people have obviously missed over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years. But the real worry is if you get inflation that goes out of control, it can have ramifications that can be horrific. A lot of the analysts believe it will get itself back under wraps within 12 months when the second-hand car market sort of gets returned to normal. But the fuel prices have obviously spiked it. Food prices are spiking it. And I do think it's something that the government are going to have to look at very carefully over the next number of months. Uh, And one of the ways they'll possibly do it is just hike interest rates up. Rhys, what what do you think is is the outlook for inflation? Because it's something over the past sort of 20, even 30 years, we've become conditioned to not thinking about. And yet, you know, I remember when I was a kid, it was something that put the fear of God into my parents. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with the kind of sentiment from the, the remainder of the podcast. I'd love to say that inflation isn't on its way. But you look at the most simplest issues that we're having at the moment. We've got lack of HGV drivers, which I know Tom is going to come on to discuss the real reasons behind that later. Um, You've got high energy prices with low supply. 
And all of these points are contributing to a potential increase or a need for increase in wages um, just to get the, the supply to the to the right level that demand is currently at. So I think it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but I think it's inevitable at this stage. Do you think this is something that's particular to Britain because we're undergoing the effects of leaving the EU? Is it something, are we ex- about to experience a worldwide economic downturn? Because obviously we've just had the pandemic with the traumatic effects of that. And yet Britain's recovery has been you know, among the slowest in the world. How specific to Britain are these economic problems, do you think? I don't think they're specific at all. I mean, you look around the world in the US off the coast of Los Angeles, there's a record breaking number of uh, flotilla containers waiting to be unloaded. China have just asked Russia to increase electricity it sends over the border. Germany, petrol prices have risen by 20%. Australia, there's a huge problem with uh, reduced construction because there's a timber and steel shortage. There's all sorts going on all over the world. And here we had the the pandemic, didn't we, Um, which meant that no one could go to Nando's uh, due to the shortage <laughs> there, definitely. I mean, we, we've got it all. And and as you said, the IMF have reduced down their uh, anticipations. They seem to think that the disparity between, or they clearly uh, think the disparity between rich and poor countries and the rollout of the vaccine is having a huge part in that. And, and that may be some kind of, over time, if we can get a push on the rollout of vaccines in poorer countries, that's going to solve some of these these issues. But right now, this is not isolated to the UK at all. Yes, we've got our own problems created by a bit of a perfect storm, but this is very much worldwide, I think. So, Andy, given that things are, are looking a bit grim, although house prices are showing strong growth, strongest growth since 2007, apparently, so it's not all bad, what should clients be doing now to prepare for the frosty economic environment that we're about to probably about to enter like we always say pre-pandemic we used to say to people make sure you've got three to six months rainy day money emergency funds ready now we think you should have six to twelve continuing to invest in your pensions and your ISAs on a monthly basis to take advantage of pound cost averaging and one of the sort of side effects of the pandemic really is the sort of the unknown effects of long COVID and that And we just keep saying to people make sure whatever ill health benefits you've got at work Make sure you've got yourself covered in case you do end up with long COVID. And if people are slightly worried about their jobs in terms of, I know there's this mass amount of uh, shortages, but some people will be badly affected. Have a look at redundancy cover if you are concerned for your mortgage, just to make sure that if something surprising happens to you, you can get mortgage cover. But you obviously have to take that out three to six months before it will kick in. So you can't sort of think your job's going to go and then buy it. But if, you, if you've got any doubt, it's something to look at because that's most people's biggest financial commitment. Okay, let's move on and talk about IR35, which is controversial and worrisome. It's been described as the forgotten factor driving the HGV crisis and as being responsible for a summer of strife. HMRC's new drive to crack down and root out IR35 discrepancies has been described as careless and piecemeal. But I'm going to ask Tom Wallace this right now. What exactly is it? Because I'm somewhat baffled by this. What exactly is IR35 and why is it so important? It's a good question. It's a good question. It's important to anyone that supplies their services through an intermediary. So that is, let's say, a limited company or a partnership. And what it attempts to do is it attempts to ignore 
the reality of that situation and say, if you work like an employee, i.e. someone has supervision, direction and control over how you do that work, um, then there's no reason you should be taxed as an employee. So even though even though you are perhaps self-employed or working for a limited company, it seeks to basically charge full national insurance and income tax as if you were an employee of the company. I mean, I have slight experience of this, but years ago when I used to work in publishing, people were encouraged to set up personal service companies to build the company as a limited company, but they were taxed at source. So they kind of got the worst of both worlds, taxed at source, and yet not given the, the benefits that an employee would have. Lots of us were encouraged to set up PSCs. What was this designed to achieve? Was there any benefit to the individual or was it primarily for employers? And, and this is it. I, I mean, you've, 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 you've made the good point there that lots of people have been, been encouraged to work this way. And, and, it, and it's not simply for tax benefits. Yes, I, I, I dare say there are things you can claim um, when you're working uh, through your own limited company that perhaps you wouldn't as an employee. Um, but there's many other reasons for, for setting up as a limited company. You've got the normal reasons that limited companies are set up, limited liability. You've got now got a structure in place that if you want to hire staff um, to then engage on projects, you can do that through the limited company. And a professional image, um, you know, a limited company looks much more professional than Joe Bloggs uh, on the invoice. So tax is just one of the reasons why um, people choose to work this way. What is happening now? Why are the governments changing the regulations? Why is HMRC cracking down and why is it causing such problems? So R35 has been around for over 20 years, April 2000. Um, it's called R35 because it was Inland Revenue Press Release 35, 9th of March uh, 1999. So that tells you how long this, is, this has been in. But up till now, it's been the responsibility of the contractor themselves to determine whether they are inside or outside R35. Back in April, um, the legislation changed so that it was placed, the responsibility was placed onto the engager of the services, essentially that the end client. So mega bank or mega insurance company who's hiring the contractor. It, it was now their role to make that determination with the added proviso that if they get that determination wrong and they haven't taken reasonable care, they will be responsible for the missing tax. So what's happened is essentially companies have become risk adverse. They don't want to engage in something that they're not experts at. And therefore, they've just decided we're no longer working with people who work through their own companies. We want you to go full PAYE and have everything deducted at source. Which is a pretty much a reversal of the experience I just described, where they were encouraging you to be a PSC. Absolutely. And, and, and this is, I mean, this is essentially the, the government's policy here to, to have everyone on the payroll. What you're seeing, though, is the sorts of issues we're talking about in the supply chain with HGV drivers. I mean, many people, it's the, the popular opinion that Brexit is driving that. Actually, many HGV drivers were working through their own uh, PSCs and therefore now are taking a massive hit. It's now not becoming worth their while. So like many contractors, they are saying you either pay us more to make up for the missing take home pay or, or we're not going to do the work anymore and, and 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 this is we're seeing this in supply chains in many industries hgb is the one we publicly see because we've seen the fuel crisis and we've seen the prices in in shops rise and the empty shelves but it, this is happening uh, across all industries 
So what are the other places that are feeling the pain and maybe less less, less visible? Are there, are there particular businesses or sectors that where this has proven to be a, a problem? The IT industry, it heavily relies on contractors. Um, so we're seeing lots of projects being shelved in banks and, and insurance companies. Um, because they simply can't get the, the specialist skills to, to do that. In fact, anywhere that uses specialist skills, project management, um, any sort of um, area where historically they will bring someone in for kind of six months to get a project up, running and going, um, their, their, their projects are just hitting the shelves because people are not willing to work on a inside R35 basis suffering full tax and national insurance at source, but not getting the benefits that an employee would get, i.e. sick, sick pay, um, holiday pay, all of those sorts of things that, that you know, would get a, a normal employee would benefit from. So if you wanted to introduce this policy, maybe after a global pandemic and right after you've just severed your major supply chains with European partners, might not be the best time to do it? Well, well this is it. So it, it was originally supposed to come in in, in April 2000 and, and it was actually postponed for 12 months because of COVID. Uh, and you're, you're so right there. I mean, if, we, if, it, if it was a policy to postpone it because of COVID, why are we now implementing it when we're not out of this this dip we're not out of the pandemic uh, and you you're absolutely correct i think ultimately the the government in many areas are, are facing pressure to balance the books and and they see contractors and, and the whole contingent workforce area as perhaps an easy area um to uh, to to start filling the coffers back up after the uh, the pandemic andy mayer if if you're a sole trader in a psc and you're kind of uh, in the crosshairs of IR35. What should you be thinking about? What, how can you deal with this? Or, 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 or do you have no options? You just got to suck it up. Andrew, to me, the, the answer on this is the same as everything. You take expert advice. You just, if you're in RI35, you go and speak to an expert in that area. Because I've known recently somebody, uh, someone we look after has had to go from IR35 to employed because of the whole tax situation. My opinion on something like this is whether you do a will, whether you do an investment or your IR35, go and talk to an expert because if you get it wrong, it can be costly. And I just always, always say to everyone, I've had an accountant for 27 years. Why? Because when I set this up, I wanted someone to do my tax correctly for me. I didn't want to mess around with it. If you're doing IR35, go and see a specialist because otherwise the consequences can be pretty grim. What happens if you do get it wrong? Is it proportionate on the amount you are deemed to have avoided? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the immediate issue is the, the tax and national insurance that the revenue believe should have been paid and hasn't. There are always longer term consequences to this type of stuff. Reputational risk is obviously a massive one um, in business and for any any type of business. You've also got to consider that at the moment, the revenue are having what they call a soft landing. That means that while they will, for the first 12 months, while they will come after the tax and national insurance, they won't charge you a penalty. After 12 months, I think you fully can expect um, penalties for not taking reasonable care. And those those penalties can range from zero um, for those that have taken reasonable care and can demonstrate that, uh, right up to 100% for those that have deliberately concealed their status. So, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with with taking the expert opinion because... Ultimately, it's a complex area of legislation that I'm pretty sure even most people well-versed in, in tax would shy away from. Right. So we are concluding, get personal advice because everybody's case is different. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's not just, I mean, a lot of people believe you can write a contract that takes you outside I-35 because we put something like a substitution clause in that clearly means it's not my personal services you're hiring. Anyone can come do that. If your working practices do not reflect what's in the contract, it is not worth the paper it's written on. So it's not just getting a contract in place that is IR35 compliant. It's then putting the, the framework to actually have your working practices correct so that if the revenue do investigate, that you're going you're to have a clean bill of health. So have you found yourself as a permalancer, supposedly just engaged for a particular job, but it just so happens you've been working there for 10, 5, 20 years? You could be in the crosshairs, as it were. You are at massive risk, um, to, to put, put it okay. blunt. I think they will be the first that the revenue will be looking to question. And I would, I would also say just a quick right. one is that, as Tom said, a lot of the companies didn't want to take the risk. So they've sought to just blanket ban PSCs, contractors, no, not use them anymore. And they've done that through blanket determinations. There are opportunities for contractors to contest that, though, and challenge that status if they genuinely believe they're self-employed and genuinely believe that they should be paid as such. There are, are opportunities to challenge that. So I'd also say for contractors out there who are thinking about um, what their options are to retain their take-home, they do need to look at how they're, they're operating day to day. Do they genuinely look uh, self-employed and are they genuinely operating self-employed? Because if so, then maybe there's just a discussion that needs to happen with the supply chain there to make sure that that, that stays the same. Okay, well, this is sobering stuff, but it's what we're here for, to give people the stuff they need to deal with the trouble that may be on the way. That is the end of the podcast. Reese um, and Tom, thank you for joining us to explain this stuff. Thank you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And Andy, thanks for joining us as usual every month. We'll be back next time. Everyone, thanks for listening. If you found this podcast useful, then please do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. Then you will get every edition when it comes out. You'll get a little alert on your phone. Andy, Tom and Reese, good to talk to you. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Cool. Take care. Take care, everyone. See you soon.